Welcome to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Hear from the experts, including media covering upcoming opponents in the ACC, former Georgia Tech letter winners, and the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network crew. Now, here's your host, Wiley Ballard. Hello, Tech fans, and welcome inside another episode. We've got a lot in store for you this week as we'll be joined by a bevy of guests, beginning with Andy Demetra and Randy Waters talking about Georgia Tech men's basketball. Following them, we'll be joined by Tabitha Turner, who reflects on Michelle Joseph's 300th career victory. And finally, Ronnie Jones and Sean Bedford will join us as they take a look back on head coach Paul Johnson's 11 seasons and why it's so special to play for him as the Jackets prepare to take the field one final time under head coach Johnson in the Quick Lane Bowl on December 26th against Minnesota in Detroit. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and uh, connect up now with Andy and Randy. And guys, a lot to look forward to here in this basketball season. Let's start with what you guys have seen over the first month. Uh, one of the bigger questions entering this year was how would Tech's defense absorb the loss of Josh Okogie and Ben Lammers? And early on, it looks like they've handled it quite well, ranking uh, near the top of the ACC in block shots, three-point field goal defense, and scoring defense. Why have they played so I well defensively? you can almost separate the, the two things into uh, pre-James Banks and post-James Banks. He's given them a rim protector. In some ways, I think when you're measuring whether it's offense or defense, and, and I, we'll see if Andy agrees with me here. I think the measuring sticks are, are the uh, power five teams that you've played. All, no disrespect to the other teams on the schedule. And you've had James for those games, although, let's face it, the Tennessee game, he probably was uh, not sure he even had the, had the shoelaces tied considering the, the haste with which he had to go to Knoxville. What do you, what do you think, Andy? Yeah, I agree. I think James, especially in the Northwestern and St. John's games, Georgia Tech lost both of those, but you saw that uh, he does a great job going straight up and down and altering shots, blocking them. And so uh, they have a little bit of a Ben Lammers replacement in that mold now with James eligible. Um, I, I think you have a team that has good length in the backcourt uh, when they're going to the 1-3-1 zone that can really cut down on angles and, and make it very difficult for opposing offenses to find clean driving lanes against them. The one hang-up right now, guys, if you look at the advanced numbers, Georgia Tech is still just outside the top 15 nationally in defensive efficiency, but they're in the bottom 10 nationally in free throw rate. Essentially, that's a measurement of how often a team gets to the free throw line relative to how often it shoots from the floor. And so Georgia Tech needs to cut down on its fouling. That has been the workaround for these teams that, that are trying to, to tame Georgia Tech's defense, and that's something they're going to have to clean up moving forward. But Josh said in the preseason, they have to set the tone and build their identity through their defense, and his guys have obliged so far. And some of the offense Tech gets is created through that defense. Let's talk about the offense as a whole. Both of you uh, spoke on it this past Saturday playing St. John's that at times uh, Georgia Tech struggles to find someone who can create their own shot. Uh, when Tech does have success offensively, like we saw there on that 21-2 to run on Saturday, what does it look like? Why is Tech able to score? Well, uh, part of it, again, comes to James because they have a more effective guy than, than you know, disrespect to any the, the other two guys who played the five spot this season, but he's, he's more effective. Now, is he the distributor Ben Lammers was? Certainly not. There's no question. He's not the same kind of player. Um, but the other key is Jose. I think sometimes because Josh O is gone, 
uh, Jose at times this season has tried to do a little too much. Um, I don't. I have no uh, feedback from the coaching staff about that. This that's just kind of an observation. And while Shimbari did not play last season, uh, he was he was around all season, so he saw what Josh O meant to this team offensively. And I think, and he's you know Shimbari's really in kind of a funk. He, he's a proven Division One player, uh, and yet he's really really struggling. So I think those two guys trying to do too much has inhibited the offense at times. Uh, I don't. I guess I haven't answered your question about how do they score, but uh, you know the way they score. I'm going to sound like the head coach here is when they move the ball and don't dribble the doggone thing around because there's no there's no great there's no great ball handler on this team. I'll I'll step aside and go to the free throw line myself here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I echo what you say, Randy. They're moving the ball well. They're cutting hard. They're pump faking and attacking closeouts, and that ball doesn't become stuck where the offense bogs down because I think Georgia Tech realizes, like you do, that they don't have that end-of-shot-clock bucket getter like we saw with Shamori Pons and St. John's, like we saw in Northwestern with Vic Law. That's not to say that somebody on this current roster can't emerge as that kind of guy. And look, Randy, you and I saw Shambari Phillips all during practice last year when he was sitting at his transfer year. He has that capability, but you'd rather not see Georgia Tech get into those situations to begin with. And so I think it's all about cutting hard, keeping that ball moving, uh, and Georgia Tech is getting to the line because they're getting teams off balance chasing after them with their ball movement. That's going to be the best source of Georgia Tech's offense, the go-to man being the open man, and Georgia Tech keeping that floor spread with capable three-point shooters. Collectively, they haven't shot the three as well as perhaps Josh has anticipated going into the season. There's some guys like Shimbari. Curtis Haywood has been a little more up and down than I thought, but they've got enough floor stretchers with the three where if they can start making them with balance, it's going to completely change the floor shape and it's going to make this Georgia Tech team even better on offense. This coming Sunday, a 2 o'clock start against Florida A&M. The pregame coverage begins at 1.30 as Tech begins its second half of non-conference play. And, and guys, let's leave with this. What are you most intrigued to see in this next month before Tech embarks upon ACC play. I'm intrigued to see if Shamari can become the guy we saw not only in practice last year, but at times at Tennessee. I think that to me is, is extremely intriguing. And I'm going to tell you guys something. After we came back uh, from the road trip the, and, and the last part of the road to Miami, when we got to uh, McCamish and, and Zelnak and the kids went in the locker room, took their stuff in, and I, I had to make a, a pit stop, if you will. So I was still there when Jose Alvarado, ball in hand, eyes straight ahead, walked onto the practice court after we got back from Miami all by himself to get shots up. So I think Jose's leadership and abilities are going to be critical and I, I think if, if he kind of kind of gets a little bit under control, if you will, not that he's an out-of-control kid, but just, again, you know, kind of cuts down on the turnovers and, and, and gets back to being the guy that we know he can be totally, I think that's going to help Shambari, too. Yeah, definitely. And I'm really intrigued to see how James can continue to grow. Uh, and also, when talking with Josh on our radio show this week, he said that with Georgia Tech only playing once in a two-week span because of finals, the coaching staff is really going to bunker down and regroup and see how they can create more plays with James Banks integrated into the offense. Remember, they didn't anticipate having James Banks on the floor this year. And so if they had geared their offense 
without James in mind. Now that you have somebody with his skill set on the floor, it does change what you might want to do in the half court. They might not be as reliant upon the three as perhaps Josh thought they would without him. And also, I want to see if James, uh, Michael DeVoe can continue to get more and more confident. I, I think sometimes we forget that he missed six weeks of basketball activity in the preseason with that toe injury. He's a guy who's a playmaker, and he's a guy who can be a dead-eye shooter uh, from the corners. I'm saying James and I'm saying DeVoe, those are the two guys that, if they can continue to mature and grow in their games, can really unlock some offensive potential in this Georgia Tech team. That's what intrigues me most as we head into uh, the month of December. Finals? Academics? Come on, where are their priorities down there? What, what's going on? <laughs> i tell you what, Randy, <laughs> uh, during final exams, uh, the only people who might be studying harder than the players are the coaches. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're long in just as many study hours as the players are, except theirs involves uh, re-watching games and practice video. <laughs> okay. All right, when we come back, we'll hear from former Yellow Jacket women's basketball player Tabitha Turner, who speaks about this year's 2018-19 team, as well as Coach Michelle Joseph picking up win number 300. That's up next on From the Flats. To the wing for Pond, turning and shooting a three that spins around and in. And that's just a dagger. Francesca Pond's three-point shot is just nothing but net butter. 300 wins for head coach Michelle Joseph with that win over Georgia State this past Sunday and then a big home win on Wednesday night over Alabama State. The Yellow Jackets are now 7-2 and two on the Ardwood for the women's basketball team. We're now joined by former Yellow Jacket and current uh, ACC Network Extra analyst Tabitha Turner. And Tabitha, let's start with this. 300 wins for Coach Joseph. You were there for a good number of them in the late 2000s, and you've seen even more of them from the analyst chair. What does it mean uh, to see your former head coach have this type of success? Man, it means so much. I mean, like you said, I was a part of that first three seasons in 2006, seven, and eight, uh, where she first started getting a lot of those wins, and we started making those NCAA appearances. And uh, coming from the player side to now being on the analyst side and seeing the method to the madness is, is really rewarding. For me, I should say, uh, because, you know, as a player, as a 19, uh, 20 year old kid, you don't understand it when your coach is getting after you, pushing you to be better. Um, but as an adult now, you know, eight, nine, 10 years later, I can understand the method to her madness. So it's really rewarding to see all of her hard work come to fruition because she's worked so hard for this. And I know she's got a lot left in her with this program, but she really cares about the players and she wants the program to succeed. And she also wants these players to be good off the floor. And, I, and I'm a product of that, you know, in my life now. So it, it's really rewarding to watch her go out there and work and, and mold these young women into women off the floor as well as on. She didn't spend a whole lot of time uh, reflecting on those 300 wins with uh, a game coming up on Wednesday. Like you said, last night, Jackets pull off the win against Alabama State. But I think my favorite part of uh, her quotes on the subject was that she is excited about it, but she still believes that the best is yet to come uh, for her time leading Georgia Tech women's basketball. So let's talk about uh, what is to come and, and what this 2018-19 team looks like. It's an interesting blend of, of a lot of youth, but also some uh, key experienced players. And they seem to be finding the right mix here, seven and two in the young season. Yeah, I mean, you hit it right on the head. Six true freshmen and, and seven overall with Deja Jefferson coming back um, off of redshirting last year. And they are, they're young, but you know what? You've got Kier Fletcher and Francesca Pond and Chan and Scott. You've got those returning players who learned a lot last season and had a lot to transfer over. You know, Kier Fletcher, 
stepped into that role last year as point guard and got a lot thrown at her really early. Um, but she was the leading rebounder last season and she's five foot nine. <laughs> and she's the point guard and she's the returning leading rebounder. So, you know, between her and Francesca Pond, who was rookie of the year in ACC, her freshman season, and Shannon Scott as well, another junior coming back, her and Francesca Pond, they've had to carry over a lot of the knowledge that they've learned and instill into these freshmen. And and one thing I can guarantee these freshmen are going to do is work hard. They're going to be blue, blue collar. Uh, they're going to get on the floor. They're going to go after every loose ball because that's how Coach Joe, that's how she played at Purdue. And that's how she wants her players to play. You know, recently we've seen DeAsia Gregg come around and get some more playing time because of that hard-nosed defense and coming in and giving this team a spark off the bench. So they're one of the top teams in the country in steals and forcing turnovers. And that's big. That's been something that Georgia Tech has prided itself on uh, for like the last decade since Coach Joe has been there over a decade. But, you know, the difference in this season is now we've got offensive threats. Before, Francesca Pond was the only person who, you know, Georgia Tech could rely on. But this year, Georgia Tech has got a lot more offensive threats. Kier Fletcher is going to contribute. Shannon Scott's going to contribute. You've got Balagoon and Dixon, the All-Americans who came in, and they're contributing big uh, to this offense as well. So Pond can show a little more of her versatility this season, as well as that three-point shot, that deadly three-point shot she's got. But you see her doing some ball handling now. You see her uh, getting to the rim and using her size. She's a six-foot-one guard, so that's that's a you know a, a big threat in the arsenal for Georgia Tech that I think now she can exploit a little more of her versatility and add to this offense and make it a lot more well-rounded. Let me circle back to Elizabeth Balagun and Elizabeth Dixon. Those are two of the probably most high-profile freshmen Coach Joseph has brought in the last five years. How would you compare them to some of the Yellow Jackets who also came in with a lot of expectations, uh, such as Alex Montgomery and Sasha Goodlett, uh, two players who went on to be first-round picks? No, that's a lot of praise to put on two freshmen, but it certainly seems like the talent and potential is there. Yeah, there it's it's there. Um, and you know, like you said, Goodlid and Montgomery, I played with them both. They lived up to the expectations, and I completely expect Balagun and and Dixon to live up to them as well. And so far, they are. Um, especially Elizabeth Balagun because she's also a six foot one guard on the wing, and she is long. She's athletic. Um, and Coach Joe mentioned with Balagun and Dixon, she does not have to coach their effort. They're going to play hard in the games and you know coach joe mentioned to uh to me and andy demetra last night before we went on air we asked about dixon and her post touches and coach joe said look we've got to do a better job of getting dixon the ball in the paint she works so hard getting two feet in the paint um give her the ball so last night against asu alabama state we saw them trying to get the ball into dixon um, a lot more and reward her effort uh, but between those two freshmen you know balagun is the second leading scorer on this team and she is another three-point threat where she's got that quick release. So if you don't get right up in her face, and even if you're in her face, she's letting it fly. And she's made some three-pointers this season uh, that have been really clutch and almost NBA range and been exciting to watch. So I can't wait to stay on board and see how this team progresses because they're going to do some great things for this program. No question about it. And Elizabeth Balligan and Elizabeth Dixon, both in just their uh, infancy of their college careers, only a month in the books and already showing a uh, great talent. Tabitha, thank you so much for your time. And uh, we look forward to catching up with you uh, throughout the season and, and getting ready for ACC play, but still one more month of non-conference. Let's see how this team can gel even further uh, before taking on one of the toughest conferences in women's basketball. Yeah, thanks, Wally. Anytime. 
Josh keeping it on the option. He'll pitch. Jones around the edge. Roddy Jones tiptoes. Stays in bounds. Still in bounds. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Georgia Tech. Roddy Jones around the right side, and he skates 53 yards into the east end zone. And it is hard to believe that the 11-year run that began with a dynamic play like the one we just heard is coming to an end for head coach Paul Johnson here on the flats. We're joined by two of his most uh, noteworthy when it comes to playing for Coach Johnson and then working in the broadcast field when it comes to college football. Sean Bedford, the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network color analyst, and Roddy Jones, part of ESPN's college football coverage as a sideline reporter and occasional in-game analyst. And Guys, let's start with this. When you first received the news that Coach Johnson was stepping down, what was your reaction and how those emotions evolved over the last week? Well, I was happy for him, first and foremost. I think um, one of the defining characteristics of Paul Johnson's tenure has been how much he puts into this. And there is no one who wants to win more and who is going to work harder to win more than Paul Johnson. I think seeing all that and the toll it took on him, um, you know, I know that's not easy on his family. Uh, I'm certainly going to miss him, but I was happy for him. It meant an awful lot to me and to this program. To echo what Sean said, I, there's not many coaches that get to write their ending at any place. But Coach Johnson's going to get his chance to 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 go out the way he wants. He's going to take a small victory lap, having the bowl game and bowl practice. You know, we've kind of got a month up until that game uh, to really celebrate the career of Coach Johnson to this point, what he did for Georgia Tech, and, and really just marvel at the the success that he has had at every single stop. So um, I was I was surprised. Um, you know, I'd kind of heard the rumors that that. You know, he was thinking about taking a break, and, and he said something interesting to me. He said, you know, a, a lot of coaches take breaks during their career. You know, if you're a head coach, you get fired. If you're on a staff and the staff gets fired, a lot of times guys just take a step back, regroup for a year, and then come back uh, a year later. So he has consistently referred to it as a break. I would, uh, I would anticipate, if I had to guess, if I was a betting man, that, that he pops up somewhere in the future. But um, I'm happy for him and, and the chance that we get to really celebrate his career and what he's meant to Georgia Tech. And Roddy, to your point, I think Coach Johnson is very proud of the fact that in his 40 years of coaching, he's never been on a staff that's been fired, <laughs> never been uh, asked to leave. So, you know, sometimes you got to create your own break sometimes. But, guys, the world of college football is a small one. The sport's pretty big, but there tends to be a lot of uh, relationships that reach across programs. I'm curious for, for guys your age who played for him, if you encounter uh, someone who played at a different school – when they ask you what was it like to play for Coach Paul Johnson, what do you say? <laughs> I always talk about the competitiveness, you know, the the, the fact that, that you know, he didn't want to lose in anything. You know, the Coach Johnson that you saw off the field, the the, the, the golfer, the, the ping pong player, the pool player, like that Coach Johnson uh, is the Coach Johnson that people don't often get to see. And, and he is as competitive a person I've, as I've ever met. Um, and, and, and in terms of on the field – you know, I, I just marveled at his knowledge of the game. So it was all, you always knew that, that we were going to be a step ahead of the defense and you could always feel uh, that we had an answer in some way, shape or form. So um, it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of success at the, the time I was there. So it, it was a lot of fun. It's a lot of hard work. It was a big culture change going from Gailey to Coach Johnson. But but winning an ACC, ACC championship makes it worth it for sure. And the success that we had, you know, I'll always remember. Absolutely. And I think that that sort of feel he had for the game really went a long way towards defining what Paul Johnson is to me. And I can think back to that game back in 2009 at Vanderbilt where 
he just sort of draws up a play in the dirt on the sideline, and we go out and execute it for an 80-plus yard touchdown off a of play action. And that was just that was him sort of in a nutshell to me, is that he, he understood the game and, and sort of had a feel for the game in a way that very few people do. He could pick up on things that you'd have to be so keyed in on normally for most people, but for him, he just sort of picked up on it uh, out of his peripheral and, and knew it intuitively, and that was always incredibly impressive to me. The other thing that stood out to me was just the toughness that playing for Paul Johnson required because uh, not only his system, but I think the way he operated his program required you to be pretty selfless, um, required you to be willing to sacrifice your body and, and carries or whatever, uh, whatever sort of stats you might uh, individually be interested in compiling. He was all about the team and doing whatever it took to be successful. Um, and, you know, and Roddy talked about that transition going from Coach Gailey to Coach Johnson. We were both a part of that. And, and the, one of the first memories I have of Paul Johnson was those first set of coaches runs, uh, our spring training runs um, right before spring break, and just thinking, I'm actually going to die today and thinking this is so hard. <laughs> but, but I think that was instructive in a way because you came out of it thinking, I can do so much more than I thought I could coming into this. And I think that Paul Johnson helped us to see that if we were committed enough to what he was asking us to do, we were going to see the benefits and that he was going to help us reach that next level. Well, for both of you guys played towards the beginning of his time at Tech, has the relationship changed now that you've taken the jersey off for good when it comes to visiting with him and and, uh, conversing with him? Oh, yeah. He smiles when he sees me now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, the relationship with Coach, I think, changes just because he's so focused on winning all the time. And and when you're one of the guys that's out there, he's constantly looking for ways to help you, make you better. I think he takes a lot of pride in the young man that he's turning out of his program. I think he's a little bit more open and effusive with his praise after you get out of the program, but uh, he, he just continues to show that more and more. Well, well uh, I went from being a player, so, so he was coaching me hard and making sure that I was doing everything right to being a member of the media, so <laughs> a way to be uh, ridden hard a different way. He kind of gives me a hard time about that, but, but absolutely, you know, the, the, the relationship that you have when you get out, you know, you've got some perspective. Uh, you, you really appreciate a lot of the stuff that you went through in college, and Coach has always been really quick-witted. He's always been uh, fantastic to talk to, um, and, and he's always he's always provided some incredible perspective. And, you know, I don't think anybody gets the big picture uh, more than Coach Johnson does. Uh, he, he's he's as sharp as anybody that I've seen in college football. So um, I I always enjoy just kind of plopping down in his office and, and chatting for a little bit, whether it's about you know the the jackets or the larger landscape of college football or or even you know the history of college football because he is such a big part of it and that offense. Uh, has really been a staple of college football uh, since the 1950s, and and he's kind of the the the, the holder of the torch. Um, and, and you know, if this is it for him, then then he has certainly passed that torch. But but as someone who held uh, the the torch of the off, uh, option offense for so long, he's uh, he's a wealth of knowledge and he's a lot of fun to chat with. And, and I'll highlight one other thing that Roddy said in there, which is that. Coach Johnson's a really funny guy, and a lot of people don't get to see that. And I think as you get, you know, as you've sort of endeared yourself to him as one of his guys and somebody that, you know, he helped to develop into, um, you know, into the young men that we are, I think as you get further and further out of that, you get to appreciate that humor more and you get to see more and more of it. And uh, that's a reward in and of itself. But that's something I don't think he gets enough credit for is that he's very witty, uh, he's very funny, and he's, he's an incredibly engaging 
person to have a conversation with. Well, great perspective, humor, and conversation. To me, guys, that sounds like a future broadcaster. Roddy, has uh, ESPN reached out to you trying to lay the groundwork for that uh, same move that coach can make from the locker room to the booth? Uh, um, you know, I, I, I don't, they haven't reached out to me, but, but he wouldn't need me to, to, to go through. Um, you know, c- coach, uh, coach is funny because I, I'm certain, I, I know without a doubt, I don't have anything to back it up in terms of concrete evidence, but I know without a doubt that, that someone has reached out to him about doing some media because that sort of perspective and, and humor, quite honestly, is, is, uh, is something that people are always looking for. So, I think coach would be great at it. Um, I think that I think that it would let people see that different side of him that, that Sean was alluding to. And, and with apologies to Roddy's employer, I think if if coach does decide to go in that direction, you can expect him not to be the Tom Rinaldi type and to be much more of the X's and O's kind of guy. <laughs> see, I had him pegged for more Skip Bayless. I mean, I wanted to see Roddy and Coach Johnson going at it uh, with an hour long debate show. And if you guys need a producer, uh, let, let let me know. But I'd love to see you two guys a lot more. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I think I could stand toe-to-toe with most people. There's something about Coach Johnson <laughs> that if, if we were going toe-to-toe in a debate, I would still kind of have that feeling that I'm an A-back. I'm a, I'm a 19-year-old A-back, and, and, he's, get, and he's getting into me. So I, I, I don't, I, honestly, I'd probably, I'd, probably, uh, I'd probably give up a lot faster than I would with other people. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Roddy, Sean, thanks again uh, for letting your inside perspective and uh, giving some of the, the insider feel for what it was like to play uh, for head coach Paul Johnson and to know him, a big thanks to you guys and enjoy the rest of the uh, bowl season. Best of luck. Thanks, Wiley. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Wiley. Well, that'll do it for us today. Again, Georgia Tech men's basketball hosting Florida at AM this Sunday at 2 o'clock. Hope you join Andy Demetra and Randy Waters for that one. And the Georgia Tech football team, its final game in the Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit, a 5 15 start on December 26th. As far as from the flats is concerned, we have another episode set to be released, our bowl preview show on December 20th, so keep an eye out for that. And always check ramrec.com for the latest in everything Georgia Tech athletics. You've been listening to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Be sure to tune into the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network on game day for live coverage. And subscribe to this channel to get the latest news on the Yellow Jackets.